Welcome to the ARPA Animal Shelter of the Week podcast, where we introduce you to incredible organizations around the country that are focused on helping animals. We're proud to be sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal shelter. The Fayette Regional Humane Society was formed 40 years ago in 1979 in Fayette County, Ohio. With minimal resources, the organization struggled to carry out its goal of protecting domestic animals. In fact, only one program could be supported, which was a part-time humane officer, to respond to calls about abused, neglected, or injured domestic animals. Since that time, they have expanded and now offer multiple programs and employ five people to carry out their mission. They still remain a nonprofit funded by those who join them and work toward a better future for all domestic animals. Haley, welcome to the show. It's very nice to be here, Rachel. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. We are so excited to have you uh, and, and to learn a little bit more about Fayette Regional Humane Society. Uh, why don't you start us off and tell us where you guys are located and maybe a little bit of history. We are located in Fayette County which is in southwestern Ohio. We're in a very rural area, so we're about an hour away from Columbus, Dayton, or Cincinnati. So our community is rather small. The county is about 27,000 people. The group was set up as the Fayette County Humane Society in 1979. So this is our 40th anniversary, and I started volunteering with the group about 10 years later. When the group was first set up, resources were very minimal. We had half an office, half a phone, and half of an employee. So we shared an office in the dog shelter, and the dog warden was also our humane agent. We didn't have any programs. We didn't specifically help any animals. And the group really didn't have the resources to do much more than that. When I started volunteering, there were a group of us who decided that we were going to try to do more, and we gradually added an adoption program. We started out, of course, with just foster homes. We got a very small office in the Masonic building where we could not keep any animals, and even when we moved to a slightly bigger storefront office, it was difficult to keep animals there. So we had a lot of foster homes. um, And gradually, we added other programs. We added a certificate program to help with the cost of spay-neuter. We started trap-neuter return, and our adoptions gradually increased. In the past 10 years, we have experienced amazing growth. We've been able to help many more animals than we ever thought possible. Our mission is to promote and protect the welfare of domestic animals and to honor the human companion animal bond. And when we talk about domestic animals, we are also here for farmed animals. So we respond to calls about sheep and pigs and cattle and horses, of course. So we cover all domestic animals. And we look forward to a day when all domestic animals will live free of abuse and neglect. And when every pet animal has a loving home, that's our mission and our goal. I love that. One of the things, and I want to make sure I heard you correctly. So you guys are celebrating 40 years, which is pretty incredible. 
But did you say you started with the organization 10 years after they were created? Or I just did. the wow. So 30 yeah. years you've been with the organization. Yes. I wow. um, my husband and I moved to Fayette County and I saw some people holding a bake sale, which was the biggest fundraiser that the Fayette County Humane Society did. Since I'm a veterinarian, I thought this would be a good place for me to be involved. So over that time, I've held probably every position in the group, including board member. And then about 10 years ago, I became the executive director. And I just retired as a veterinarian. So now I can spend more time being an executive director. And actually, I'm looking forward to that very much. Wow, that's pretty incredible, Lee. I, this has been really my heart. I believe the reason I am on earth is to help animals as a veterinarian, but also through rescues and shelters, and in particularly this one. I'm, I really feel that this is my place. I love that. Um, I, when you said that, I, I my jaw kind of dropped. I wasn't sure if I heard it correctly, um, but I love that you've been committed to them for so long. And again, not just the animals, but the community and, and the people in the community. I think that's that's pretty awesome. Um, for everything you're doing and that you found your calling because not a lot of people get that in life. Thank you for sharing with us the the history and, and a little bit of background um, about you as well. You know, I think holding all of those different positions within an organization, it's almost needed. It gives you an opportunity to see the business from every aspect, you know, so you can help volunteers as they come in, you can help adopters, you can help with the programs, you know what works and what doesn't. So I love that you've played that role or various roles within the organization. It has helped me a lot. So I have been involved um, in the beginning of every program that we have. So I have the experience, what we did right what we did wrong, what works and what doesn't. So yes, it, it does help when new people are joining the group that I have that um, depth of experience um, to be able to help decide what will work and what won't. Yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. Well, congratulations um, on your time with the organization. Uh, again, I'm, I'm speechless. That's, that's extraordinary. So Lee, why don't you tell us how you guys got involved with supporting farm animals and then tell us a little bit more about your community and and what that looks like for you and maybe some of the challenges. Many years ago, when we were still a pretty young organization, the board decided that our mission included all domestic animals and farmed animals are domesticated and although the laws governing the, governing the care of farmed animals, not quite as strong as those governing cats and dogs. There are still laws that need to be enforced, and we are the ones that do that. And we think that is very, very important. Farmed animals deserve humane treatment. I think our biggest challenge in Fayette County is that we're a rural county, and we are a significant distance from large cities. We have a lower population here than in surrounding counties and certainly in the urban counties. And so we have to work extra hard to let people know about what we're doing and to gain support. So in order for us to do our job, we need a larger percentage 
of our county's people supporting us. And we also have to reach out to the cities that are closest to us. Yeah, so I can definitely understand the distance from a from an urban city being a huge challenge. Are you able to do anything to overcome that challenge? Well, we try to keep connections with any of our supporters that have moved to the large cities. And a blessing for us is that our board chair lives just south of Columbus and knows a lot of people in Columbus. And I worked in Dayton and know people in Dayton. So we just held a big gala and we had people from Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati, across the Ohio River in Kentucky. We do keep up a very good social media presence, and we try to bring in as many people as we can. Yeah. Again, I feel like relationships seem to be the key for a lot of organizations, and it sounds like it's no different for you guys, maintaining those connections and relationships that you've built throughout 40 years of business have got to be key. So I know for a lot of people that might be listening, they might not know you know, exactly where Columbus and Dayton is. Um, how far from you guys are those, are those cities? Uh, Columbus is about 60 miles from us, as is Dayton. So in almost in any direction, you guys are, are a solid hour's worth of drive time um, to get to a larger city. That's, that's significant. For any of your partnerships, do you guys have a, a vet on site? Who do you partner with when it comes to the care of your animals? Well, I am a veterinary internal medicine specialist, So, but I've done a lot of training in shelter medicine. We also have a registered veterinary technician on staff. So she and I work together for the care of our shelter animals. However, I'm not a surgeon, so we have a fabulous surgeon who comes in once a week and does high-volume, high-quality spay-neuter. So having the facility on site is definitely helpful for you guys. I was kind of, the reason I asked the question is because I was wondering with, with 60 miles to, a, to an urban city, that has to pose a challenge when it comes to the medical care of your of your animals. But you're saying that you have a, a facility on site that you can do all that. So you don't need to transport the animals when it comes to medical care and spay and neutering. You do everything right on site. Is that right? Yes. About 15 years ago, when we had an office where we could keep a few animals, we didn't have a surgical site and we didn't have a surgeon. So my husband is a veterinary surgeon and we would pack up all the male cats and take them out to our garage where my husband would neuter them. I would stop by the Humane Society every morning and take a few cats out to the clinic where I work and my colleagues would spay them. Obviously, that's not a very efficient way to do things. And once our adoptions got up in the hundreds, we could not do it. So we were able to move to a larger office facility and we have our surgery room set up in one of the rooms in the office. And right now, we do about 1,500 surgeries a year in our own facility. Wow, that's incredible. And you've been, and you've been able to maintain that for the last how many years? Well, 
it is going up every year. Last year we did about a thousand, but we've had the surgical facility for about five years. Wow! As our as our low cost spay neuter program expands, the numbers of surgeries are increasing. So as people hear about that option, they are more likely to call us for spay neuter, and a lot of the numbers are coming there. Of course, all of our adoption animals are spayed or neutered before adoption, and we do do early age spay neuter on the kittens and the puppies. Wow. So that's pretty incredible. So 15 years ago, you were taking them to your garage, right? And you were and you were doing the surgeries there. And doing then, the neutering, neutering and, not okay. the spays. Okay. And so, and then you were taking the kittens to another facility. So that was a lot of juggling. It was the facility where I was employed. Okay. And so I would kind of lasso my colleagues to spay the kittens. Um, yes, but the kittens went on an hour each way ride. Yeah. Now coming home, they were sedated. But animals are stressed pretty easily. It was not ideal. Right. But that was the best way for us to get good quality. And my husband had a very good setup in the garage. This isn't a dirty, yeah, yeah. garage. It, no. it was a very good setup. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it, it was a production. You know, yeah. there would be 20 little boy cats out there in their carriers being neutered one after another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that takes a lot of planning, um, a lot That's, of commitment. And like you said, the the drive time, the to and the from and the care afterwards. Um, so that really shows for me the dedication and commitment, right, that the organization has to the animals and to the people of the community. Um, and the commitment that you have to the organization to, you know, to be able to do that. Um, but so you've seen incredible growth um, over the last 15 years. Let's just spend a few minutes on what does that look like? How do you go from where you were 15 years ago to where you are now? How did you get the support? How did you get to a bigger building? Tell us a little bit about how that all kind of came together for you. I think the major way it happened is through continuing education and being open to change. Continuing education in the shelter and rescue field has become much more available in the past 10 to 15 years. There are people out there who are collecting data and making that available. And we all believe in continuing education. We believe that we need to have best practices in this shelter. So as far as the outreach side, we learned about social media, we learned about the best way to communicate with our supporters. We learned how to write thank you letters. We learned how to do email blasts. We really worked hard to do all of that. On the medical side, we started looking at best practices. And there's information all over the web. And what we've been able to do then, by adopting the recommendations that have been shown to work, We've been able to increase our adoptions, increase our live release rate, shorten our length of stay, and um, make the animals and everyone here healthier and happier. So certainly as a veterinarian, I had to do continuing education every year. Things are always changing. They are also changing in the shelter and rescue world. And there are people doing very good work. And it is available 
webinars, seminars, conferences. It's everywhere. And it's very, very important to get a good look at that. And if things were working and were shown to work, we put them into place here in the shelter. We bought into it. And we have reaped great rewards from that. Yeah, there's a couple things for me that really that really stand out there. One is I love that you guys are open to change because that's a that's a difficult thing to do. Um, I love that you guys wrapped your hands around the social media aspect of it because that is not so easy, um, and it's something that you have to practice and do daily, um, and that takes time, right? And I love your communication yes. note. Um, because I feel like without supporters, without thanking them, without expressing um, the love that you have for them, you don't get very far, right? Your growth doesn't continue. And so I love that you actually took the time to write thank you notes and to express how grateful you were to those around you. And on the medical side, the best practices, you know, there's in the continuing education, there's always ways to get better. Now, in this day and age with the technology, you can find almost anything on the internet, right? You mentioned webinars and seminars and different things, and there's always ways to make yourself better. And I think as an industry, we have to rely on each other, right? If somebody has a program that's working, I think we need to listen in and ask questions and become partners. After all, we're in it for the animals, right? Absolutely. None of this information is proprietary. Everybody puts the information out. They want us all to learn. So there's no point in practicing trial and error when you have information about things that work. It will help the animals. It will help you. And it's right there. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned the live release that live release rate and the length of stay. So why don't you tell us what that looks like for your organization? Our live release rate has gone up since we started adopting some of the best practices. And if I can put a plug in here, um, the Million Cat Challenge has a fantastic set of guidelines that has helped us amazingly. But our live release rate in 2018 was 97.5%. And that means that the vast, vast majority of animals that come into our adoption program are leaving with a new home. We have worked very, very hard to cut our length of stay, especially with the cats. You can vaccinate a cat every day. If they're in a shelter too long, they are going to get sick. Cats don't handle stress very well. You can't overcrowd them, and you can't make them live in a shelter. And so we have a program where we try to have the people that are releasing the animals to us foster them for a while. So if there's a litter of kittens that come in, we will start the kittens on their vaccines, set the mother up for a spay, and send the kittens and mom back home. The kittens come back when they're about two pounds, which is usually just a couple weeks. We vaccinate them again. They go to surgery. They recover from surgery, and they're usually out of here two to three days after surgery, and they're closely monitored in the the days after surgery. So with cats especially, 
you want to keep your length of stay as short as possible. And that works very, very well for us. So we try to discourage people from walking in here and handing us a litter of kittens. We want them to be involved in working towards the best outcome for the animals. So we would like them at home in their happy place, waiting for the time that they can get their second vaccine, be spayed or neutered, and then go on the adoption floor or go to one of the off-sites that we have for adoptions. Yeah, that's an interesting program. Um, Usually what I hear is, you know, people bring in a a litter of kittens and and that's it, right? They wash their hands Mm -hmm. of that and walk away to their their daily life. Um, I like what you're doing in that it's an educational opportunity for you with them. You're not saying no, right? You're saying, right. we'll take them, but we need your help because we right. can only take so many, right? Yes. So I love that that piece of it. Are you finding success with that? Or do you find that the community pushes back a little bit um, and they're, they don't know what to do with that? Because that is a new piece. At least I haven't heard of it. So tell right. us how the community takes that that program. I would say that we probably have about a 70% acceptance rate with that. Um, Of course, nothing works all the time. Um, I came in today, and we have four new litters of kittens in back. Wow. (laughs) And I said, what happened? And I said, they would not take them back. They were just handed to us. So obviously, you're going to fail. Yeah. The thing is that the kittens should have two vaccines, which means they're at least, you know, you can sometimes get away with one. It just depends on their age and it depends how big they are. But we like to get two in them if we can. Um, And they have to be big enough to spay neuter. So having kittens here, living in a shelter is the most um, unsafe place for a cat to be. It is very, very high stress and they easily get sick. We don't want them here. And that's what we use with people. We say they will be much healthier and do much better if they go home with you. But sometimes people find them in the bushes. They don't want to foster. There are reasons that people will just hand them to us and leave. Of course, that's not what we want, but we do our best. 70%, that's still pretty good for a, you know, for a program that people aren't used to, right? Um, I mean, I think that's a... That's a great, that's a great number. So give us an idea of what your shelter looks like. It sounds like you work with mostly cats. um, And how many animals do you have at a time in your care, in your shelter? Well, we are actually in an office building. We started out in a large office. We then required, acquired a smaller office for our surgical facility. Then when the people in front of us left, we moved forward for office place space for the staff. And now we have moved into the room in front of us where we're going to have four cat rooms. But this is an office. And so we can usually hold, and, and one of the tenants that we follow as closely as we can is what's called capacity for care, especially with cats. There's a way of calculating that. That's in the Million Cat Challenge. You want to stay below your capacity for care. Your cats are much more likely to get sick. But in our office shelter, we can manage about 50 cats, more if they're kittens and moms together. Um, We have space 
for dogs, but not very much. So this is an office building. We don't have runs. And puppies usually stay in foster homes in the winter. That's more difficult. But we do have a room for puppies. And we can usually handle two litters of puppies if the litters aren't too big. But the problem with being in an office is that um, airflow is not correct. The surfaces are not correct. We've tried to make it work for animals, but it is certainly not perfect. Yeah, that's very interesting. Another thing that makes you guys a little bit different, you know, given the space that you have, it sounds like you guys are doing amazing things and that is not holding you back. Um, and I know you want to share some some upcoming news, which we'll get to here very shortly. You mentioned the foster program. And so I want to talk about that for just a little bit. How big is that foster home program for you? How heavily do you rely on them? Um, and who are the main uh, residents of that foster home program? Cats, kittens, dogs? Tell us a little bit about that. We try to put kittens, either orphaned kittens or kittens and mothers, into our foster system. There are about 10 people who will foster cats for us. It doesn't always work out for them, but we we have a base of about 10. The adult cats, we can move through here much more quickly. They get one vaccine, spayed or neutered, and we can usually move them out. But young kittens, say four-week-old kittens, they're gonna be spending two, three, four weeks in our system, we really don't want them here in our shelter. It's usually cats. The puppies move through pretty quickly, but if there are dogs that have um, emotional or behavioral problems, they go out and foster. We have an animal trainer who works with us. We just took a a Doberman, a one-year-old Doberman pincher who um, is a very, very sweet dog, but didn't have any manners, would knock you over. So he is off um, with the trainer right now so that he will be more adoptable. So usually it's the young cats and the adult dogs that go into foster. Okay. And so you mentioned you have 10 foster homes that kind of help with with the kittens. About how many foster homes do you have that work with dogs? It is seasonal. So there are not many people that want a pen of puppies in their house because puppies are very messy and they um, make a lot of noise. So we have people that have outdoor um, outdoor runs and outdoor kennels that are covered. Um, They can keep puppies in the summer, but they can't keep puppies in the winter. So they're, There are, um, the number of dog fosters varies based on the season. Cats, of course, stay inside. And sometimes we will post a a picture of a litter of kittens on Facebook and say, can anyone foster them? And we have people clamoring for them. So that's kind of our last ditch because they have to go through a little bit of training. Uh, If the mom is with the kittens, it's no trouble at all. Mom does all the work, you just feed her. Right, right. Very interesting that it's a seasonal thing. Um, So that has to have, that definitely has to have its own challenges, right? Um, Yes, it does. (laughs) Yeah, that has to be a little difficult. Uh, I can can see that. So Mm -hmm. I want to spend a little bit of time 
talking about what your future looks like. Um, what do you guys have upcoming? And, and maybe share that little bit of, of good news with the listeners. About a year and a half ago, the city of Washington Courthouse granted us a 99-year lease on three acres of land just on the outskirts of town to build a shelter and adoption center. And we have just begun a capital campaign to build a building. We need a building to take care of the animals that need us. The building will have a larger surgical facility and we will also have a small clinic for basic health care. We have added regional to our name recently because even though we are the smallest of surrounding counties, we offer our services to three counties that are surrounding us because we have resources that their humane societies don't. So we would like to be a go-to place for people in Southern Ohio that need help with their animals. We have our basic drawings, and we have a contractor. The building is going to be a little bit over 7,000 square feet. So right now, we are doing our lead gifts, our foundational asks. We strongly believe that we will get there, and we will have a building that will be perfectly designed for dogs and cats. The dogs are going to have suites so that um, they will have lots of room. They won't be staring at each other and barking. Uh, There are five different cat rooms, two of whom have porches. There's a kitten room, um, a large educational center. It's going to be an amazing addition to the county and a giant step forward in caring for animals in this area. So I think that's really cool what you're what you're doing, Lee. Is there a way for people to help get you guys to your final goal? Can they donate? Tell us what that looks like for people that want to help you guys uh, get to the new structure. If people want to help us, we really welcome your contributions. You can go to our website, which is FayetteHumaneSociety.com. There's a Donate Now button up on the top right. And when you get to that page, you can just specify that your donation is to go to the building fund. So that's FayetteHumaneSociety.com. That's great. Um, Is there a time frame that people need to do this by? We are still in the very early stages of the capital campaign. We probably will not be breaking ground for at least another year and a half. So there's a little bit of time, but we would appreciate building up that fund right now. Yeah, of course. No need to wait until the very end, right? Mm -mm. No. No, absolutely not. So are you doing, are there other fundraisers along the way or any annual events that you guys have that also um, fund your activities throughout the year? We just had our major gala, which is called the Furball, and that's not very original. A lot of people use it, but it's such a cute name. So we had the Furball about two weeks ago. It was a wonderful success. We had about 270 people from all over uh, the Southern Ohio area, and 
they were amazingly generous and amazingly supportive. So that's our spring fundraiser. And then in the fall, in early September, we have the Walk Against Animal Cruelty, um, where people can come and walk with their dogs. We have a picnic. Everybody loves that. That's great. And all of that information can be found on your website, or is that best found on social media platforms? It The Walk Against Animal Cruelty publicity will start probably about midsummer. There's not information out there right now because that doesn't start until September. You can certainly go to our website and uh, take a look at some of the other things we're doing. So we're getting close to our wrap-up time, and I want to know what your memorable story is. You've been in the animal welfare industry for 30 years, um, and so I have to believe you have lots and lots of stories, but I'm hoping you can pick out maybe just one to share with the listening audience. Let me tell you about a dog named Ethan. So our chief humane agent called me and said that he had a dog that was near death that I needed to look at. He was the thinnest and the sickest dog I have ever seen. Ethan was closed in a kennel behind his house with no food and water for a very long time. I'm not sure we know how long. His owner was fatally ill and unable to care for him. Ethan couldn't stand. He could barely lift his head up. And when he came in, I was very afraid that we were not going to be able to save him. And this is where our wonderful staff rallied around. We put him on IV fluids. We gave him a little bit of food he didn't want very much. And two of our staff members took him home with them overnight so that he could receive therapy. He was severely anemic because he had over an overwhelming hookworm infection. He had heartworm disease. This is when I was still working. And so I got a text the next day saying that Ethan wouldn't eat. I remembered hearing about the people in the concentration camps. And when the Allies came to liberate them, they gave them a lot of food. And some of these people died. And I thought, is that what's going on here? So I've never seen something called refeeding syndrome. But we drew blood on Ethan, and that was what he has. It causes changes in electrolytes. He wouldn't eat. He was still on IV fluids. He was incredibly weak. And I told the staff that I did not think we could save him. Refeeding syndrome is very, very serious. That guy fought. He's a German shepherd. He was down to about 40 pounds when he came in. The next day he started to eat. Next day he ate a little more, sat up on his own. He started to walk about six days later. It was the wobbliest walk I think anyone's ever seen. We were so happy. We just celebrated. So we had Ethan for about four weeks. Everyone saw him on Facebook, and we picked a very, very special family to adopt him. We still hadn't treated his heartworm. He wasn't strong enough. But everything else was coming along pretty well. They brought him back two months later. We started his heartworm treatment. And after about four months of therapy and good food and love, Ethan is now a happy, healthy, 
75-pound beautiful German Shepherd. And that is one of our happiest stories. I will tell you that we see a lot of animals that are thin, a lot of animals that have been starved. I've never seen anything like Ethan. And to see him turn around and get better made me so proud of our staff and how hard they worked and gave me hope that animals are resilient, that people are resilient, and that even if we've hit some big bumps in the road, we can still come back and still be happy and successful. Yeah, it's a great story and a great reminder about, you know, no matter where you are in life, there's always hope. And I love that story. And that's great on so many levels. And I like that you have that story to hang on to when sometimes, you know, days are not easy in animal welfare. And so you have to have yep. those good stories, not only about animals, but about people too, that kind of fuel you, right? They make you want to go on and do better and be better. And this sounds like that story does that for you. Yes, it does. I was I was prepared for him to die. I did not believe that we could save him even with our best medical treatment. But he fought his way through. And to see where he fought from gives you hope that you're going to fight through, that we're going to build this building, that we're going to help more animals and more animals. And it's something to look forward to. Yeah. I definitely love that. So as we as we wrap things up, Lee, I know we've talked about a, a lot today. Is there anything that we may have missed that you want to share before we wrap things up? I'd like to talk about the staff a little bit. We have a fantastic staff, are a big part of our success. You know, working in a nonprofit, especially an animal nonprofit, is not easy. There are very stressful days, depressing days. You see things that you might not want to see. And working in a nonprofit, you're not going to get rich. We can't offer a lot of benefits. We, But we finally, and it takes a lot of work to do this, have a wonderful staff that loves the animals, that goes out of their way to do what they need to do. We're a family and we're all in this together. And so... I really want to thank the staff, and I want to emphasize the importance, and you read about this, of getting the right people on the bus. But it's something that you have to do. Everybody has to pull together. This is a hard job, and we're all when we're all going in the right direction, we can really impact the world. Very nicely stated. Uh, and again, I, I agree with you that we're all in it for the animals, but the people matter just the same, if not more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without yes. them, we can't save the animals. No, the peoples are the peoples. <laughs> Our staff are the ones that implement the programs, that talk to the people, that take care of the animals every day, that clean the cages. So without the staff, there is no Fayette Regional Humane Society. So they're very, very important. Yeah, very nicely stated, Lee. Well, I've definitely enjoyed my time chatting today, and uh, we definitely look forward to your progress, and we encourage people to check you guys out uh, and to donate uh, if they're able to. And uh, we look forward to the progress you're going to make on that new building. Thank you, Rachel. I am too. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dobert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.